Welcome to the SFU MediaCast, a podcast dedicated to the use of educational media, technology, and techniques for teaching online. Check out our website at medialab.opened.ca for access to DIY tutorials, drop-in studio sessions, and weekly discussions right here on the SFU MediaCast. Episode 1, Olga Belikov on Zoom. Hi, this is Jason Toll on the inaugural episode for the Media Cast, a response in part to the current pandemic crisis that we are all facing and the implications that it is having very quickly for online education at Simon Fraser University and beyond. Um, we have been hustling to bring online resources to the SFU instructional community and this podcast is in part a bit of practice for us to go through the steps of producing the podcast, figuring out the best technologies and platforms for SFU faculty to use, um, whether they are making online videos, doing interactive course assignments, or making a podcast like this one. It's going to be quite obvious for everybody that um, Zoom and recorded recorded synchronous lectures are the default approach. And while those will be great, I believe we will be covering uh, some of those techniques. We're going to kick off this first episode with the new kid on the block, Zoom. Hey, good afternoon. Uh, joining me today is Olga Belikov. How are you today, Olga? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. I am just glad that you were able to join us today and talk a little bit about what you've been doing in the Center for Educational Excellence. I guess you just really started um, a couple weeks ago. Is that uh, true? Yeah, so I started, uh, I think it was about March 9th. And so it was, I started that week. And then that Friday afternoon was when it was announced that uh, SFU classes would all be offered through remote instruction. And so it was definitely an interesting time to start. <laughs> I bet it was. You kind of just hit the ground running. And your job is a manager of course production in the center. So I guess it's a pretty important time for you and your team right now. Yeah, so it's interesting because traditionally, you know, the, the team has put together uh, distance courses, uh, just online courses. And so that, you know, that started with course packets and those kinds of things, what we know to be distance learning. And obviously now it's just uh, the online courses delivered at the university. Uh, and what's interesting is, yeah, there's been this this pivot to, okay, well, they've traditionally created all these online courses, but now how can we support all these face-to-face -face instructors uh, moving to remote instruction? So that's been added on to the task list for myself and a bunch of the teams at C, yourself included. 
Uh, well, before we get into the topic of um, the hot topic of Zoom and synch and synchronous teaching, I wonder if you could just tell us uh, quickly a bit about yourself and where you have come from prior to SFU. Yeah, so um, I am from the Vancouver area, but I actually spent all of my time uh, getting my degrees in Utah at Brigham Young University. And what's really cool there is I was able to uh, learn a lot from experts in open education and online learning. And so it's been a really good foundation that brought me to here. And so I've had the opportunity to do instructional design, educational research, um, just those kinds of uh, tasks that feed well into this type of a position. And as well, I had the opportunity to teach face-to-face, -face, blended, and online formats. And so it's nice kind of jumping into this role, having had the experience of teaching online. Uh, you sounds like you've had extensive experience in this, and I'm I know I'm already going to be booking you for another episode where we can talk about open educational resources. Yeah, that's yeah, that'll that'll I do great. love to talk about. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, today the hot topic, of course, is synchronous teaching, and um, SFU has a while ago told us that we're going to be doing all summer courses, I believe 100% online. Now it's looking like um, into the fall, there will be at least some online courses. So um, amongst all of the offerings that you're doing, you have been some Zoom workshops online. Yeah. How many of those have you, have you done already? Because I know the demand is really high. Yeah, I think it's somewhere in the ballpark of like eight-ish, um, but we had pretty good participation in those workshops, so we had some good numbers in terms of turnout. And then what's nice is we've also recorded the workshop and put it online for people who are unable to attend, and so we also have uh, that resource available for instructors. And those are available on the C website, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. They're just like SFU.ca slash C. Um, C-E-E. -E. Um, I'll be posting links in the show notes for this episode as well. Will you be having more workshops coming up as well? Is yeah, the next we'll, one next we'll be having more workshops coming up as well. I think the next one um, is actually on uh, May 5th, I believe. Uh, but we've also been uh, we're offering some workshops that are a little bit more tailored to certain groups. So some groups might have uh, a little bit more specific needs, like departments, uh, where they're saying, how does this apply in my context? Uh, and so we're also doing some of those uh, just to just to tailor the conversation down. And what's really nice is when you do a little bit more of those specialized workshops, uh, you have people who have similar use cases and they kind of are, well, they're already a department a lot of times, but it creates a community of practice for them around Zoom. And so that's also something that that we will be doing. Yes, we were talking a bit about that before. And there's always a certain amount of technical and practical advice that people need. But then when you start talking about their individual courses, things get very specific and unique in a lot of cases, don't they? Yeah, exactly. So, um 
I guess uh, my, one of my first questions is really around synchronous teaching. And so I know your workshops are a bit of a blend between the technical and the practical or the pedagogical. Uh, but when you start your workshops, where, how do you introduce uh, synchronous teaching as a good option for online? Yeah, so obviously, you know, we define synchronous instruction. I think now that uh, the the light has been shown on online education, the terms synchronous and asynchronous have become more broadly used, but it's good to make sure everybody's on the same page as, in terms of what synchronous instruction looks like, and that's just real-time online instruction. Uh, but before we even talk about the tool and how we're going to use the tool, it's important to understand why we're using the tool. And if the tool is meeting any needs, or sorry, is meeting the needs, uh, like learning needs, but also, uh, you know, student need, student needs, those kinds of things, like, is the tool getting us to where we need to go? And I think a really important aspect of that is asking ourselves, do we even need to be teaching synchronously online? So there's a few questions we ask, you know, one is, can any of this be better communicated in an asynchronous setting where students have the time to learn content, they have the time to digest content. Um, and that kind of feeds into have I flipped my classroom. So I know that flipping your classroom is a nominal term that uh, means a lot of things to different people. But really, are we putting as much of the uh, instructional content where you know, you have presentations, PowerPoint slides, lectures, those kinds of things that are traditionally delivered in the face to face setting? Have we put that online? And then are we bringing students together for richer discussion, the ability to ask questions, those kinds of things? Um, and then the last question we make sure uh, to have instructors reflect on is, do I have students who don't have access to appropriate technologies, internet connection, or otherwise struggling in some way that may impede them from receiving important classroom content? So because our instance of Zoom currently doesn't allow for recording, uh, uh -huh. students who are unable to attend the sessions or may not have appropriate internet connection would then miss out on maybe important content. So that's something really important for faculty to consider as they are moving into these synchronous online settings. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and I guess we should mention that at this point, Zoom is still in a very early phase of adoption. Um, so do you know if that for recording feature, for instance, will be will be turned on at some point or is that currently what we have to work with? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something that people have talked a lot about and that uh, IT is aware of is a desire that people have. Uh, but I think that the real priority here, and again, I'm not an IT professional or a privacy professional, but I think the real priority here is making sure that we are protecting both faculty and students and complying with all, you know, privacy standards. And that's the main goal. And so I think yeah. while the communication has been that it's up for discussion and, you know, many people are working as hard as they can to make this as useful of a tool for people. I think there's no guarantee or promise that it will, uh, that it will be turned on. And so just for to be sure. aware, I think it would be nice, but I don't think that we should make plans for it to happen. I wonder if any savvy instructors will be turning to, um, some of the open source screen sharing options that we are also doing workshops on. As a yeah, I think, 
It'd be really nice. Yeah. Because I think that Zoom is such a comfortable tool for people that they say, I want to record in here. Um, But there's so many other great options for putting together asynchronous content. And so it would be really awesome if, um, if people do pursue some of those other options as well. I'm really looking forward, honestly, to seeing the creativity and innovation that SFU faculty bring to this challenge, because there is, there's not one uh, tool that's going to be the perfect case for every situation. But Zoom has really risen quickly. I mean, it's the story of the pandemic almost on the technical side, and it's really come to the fore for all of our online meetings. Maybe you could just chat a bit about why you think it is such an easy tool to use and so um, useful for asynchronous learning. Yeah, so I think what's interesting about Zoom is, again, I was teaching with Zoom before all of this pandemic started. And so uh-huh. it's been interesting to reflect on and to watch the change of the tool. And I've seen quite a few extremely thoughtful people on Twitter trying to grapple with why this tool specifically. I think, mm-hmm. you know, when you have people pop on, and I think we've experienced this ourselves, it the tool itself, despite having a lot of layers and complexity that is that is possible with the tool the tool itself is quite easy to use Mm -hmm. Um, and so you just pop on the interface is quite clean and i think that they've done a good job there i think also it's scaled up in terms of like social use and so there are free instances of zoom it's not inherently like a teaching and learning tool like blackboard collaborate ultra is a tool created by a learning company Whereas Zoom is used more broadly as an enterprise solution for video conferencing. So, you know, other people are using it in their work. Now people are using it in their homes. Their grandma's heard of Zoom, you know, and Zoom does offer quite a bit of like they they offer quite a bit of service on free accounts in that like you can run meetings, I think, I believe of up to 100 people. And so because it's being used so heavily socially and people find it to have just a comfortable interface and you know it's also an enterprise solution outside of the learning space I believe Mm -hmm. that that's what it is Um, but again I think it's also an interesting phenomenon that there's layers that I'm not even aware of so I mean I have to tell you I'm learning about a whole suite of streaming services right now that I was not paying attention to There seems to be dozens of ways to do online meetings and um, other kinds of presentations, which I will dive into in some future episodes, I hope. Yeah. Um, So, yes, I agree, actually. Zoom is super easy to use. And, of course, people do not want to be technically trying to figure out things. Is that one of the cons, would you say, of Blackboard Collaborate when you get the question, Zoom or Collaborate? Yeah, that is one of the things that we've noticed. Um, And I think it's also a little bit of a mental barrier. uh, But I think that people just don't, uh, I've heard from a few individuals that they just don't feel like Blackboard Collaborate Ultra is the Ultra is the instance we have that they don't feel that it has the same like user interface as Zoom and so I think yeah it's a it's a UI question uh, and a comfort question. The other thing is that our 
uh, Blackboard Collaborate Ultra runs inside of Canvas. And so for better or for worse, you know, that's sometimes a perk, um, sometimes a drawback. Mm. And mm-hmm. so that's just another consideration when we have the question of, you know, Blackboard Collaborate Ultra versus Zoom. Because Collaborate will do recordings mm-hmm. and can be po- those recordings can be posted in the Canvas shell. And it's sort of automated. Yeah. Is that right? Is it automated? Yeah, it's automated. So you actually start the recording and then um, it takes a little bit of time to render, obviously, like with any video. Um, and so, and it'll actually appear right there in Canvas under your recordings tab. And so there's not the need to upload it to a video server and then embed that video in Canvas. And so you also take away that kind of extra step of work. It just, the recording is right there in Canvas already. Yeah, fantastic. What are some of the most common questions you're getting from instructors in your workshops? Yeah, I think the biggest interest is in uh, breakout rooms because uh, it's an interesting tool and uh, it what breakout rooms do is it basically sends people, it sends participants, in this case probably students, into rooms for small group discussion. And so people are really interested how they can foster those uh, small, like individual, small group relationships, keep that discussion aspect of their course alive as they, as they move to the online, the remote setting. And so that's, I think, our biggest question is the interest in breakout rooms. The other kind of primary question I would say is just, I think it's more of a classroom management question in terms of, you know, how there's a number of ways to get feedback from students or to facilitate participation and discussion. And in every case, that's going to be different, you know? So if you have a class of like 300 people, it's going to look completely different than a class of 25 people. And so Mm -hmm. there's features, you know, like raising your hand or reactions or the chat feature, or some people might just have uh, people, you know, students unmute themselves and participate. And so it's it's really, there's a lot of questions in terms of classroom management. And even that I think spans to how long should I have my students in the session online? You know, it shouldn't be that full three hour. You, you shouldn't just grab yes. your students for the full three hours. And so I think it's a little bit more, the questions more surround structure and how they're going to manage their classes as opposed to, you know, how do I, how do I use this tool? I think they're trying to wrap their minds around. So I think like they understand how to click the raise hand and unclick the raise hand feature, but I think they're really trying to evaluate which aspects of the tool work best for me. That is fascinating to hear. And I know that we have been getting those questions from faculty about how to do their two or three hour lecture in zoom. Like they would nor, but it doesn't map really, does it? From the in real world lectures to an online environment, you can't really do the same. You can't really do it the same way as you used to. Yeah, I think there's a few factors of that. Um, I I'm sure you've seen. There's been a lot of articles thrown around about Zoom fatigue, uh, and yeah. that there's just there's a few like there's a few things feeding into this. Yeah, one is you have to put, like, you naturally engage a little bit more in a face-to-face setting. So I think the, like, burden of, like, emotional labor even is higher when you are 
trying to be engaged in a, in a digital setting. Um, and then there's things like I saw a study that was saying that, you know, for some students, it's, it's difficult to like, or p- people have self-perception issues, like looking in a mirror all day, uh, yeah. looking in a mirror. And what's interesting is essentially Zoom is baking you, if unless you have your camera turned off, essentially looking at Zoom is trying to keep up with meetings and also like looking at a huge picture of yourself in a mirror um, all day. And so I think that's an interesting aspect to consider. Um, so if you've ever sat in a Zoom meeting for more than an hour, I would say definitely after that first hour is where things really start to drop off. You'll notice engagement will die down. People will kind of, you'll see a little bit more agitation, a little bit mm. less. You see people kind of shut down a little bit because they think that they're burnt out from that that hour in Zoom. And so... I mean, I have definitely experienced Zoom fatigue, I can attest. And I think, you know, while we're all in this together at this point, and we're going to be learning a lot about how this tool works over long periods of time, and it's really, we're just going to have to pick it up and start using it. Yeah, I think that's really what it is. A lot of this is trial and error. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's interesting is because I've been helping a lot of people with Zoom, I mean, I've done a lot of trial and error pre-pandemic, but even during the pandemic, I've learned so much about the tool and the tool has changed, you know, it changes every day uh, based on, you know, Zoom trying to keep up. Because that's the thing is I think that Zoom has gotten a lot of flack, but it's hard to say how any application and company would function if they've scaled up so quickly. Um, And so I think there's something to be said for the fact that they're making really active changes and working hard at having the tool work for people um, and, you know, security concerns, but they scaled so quickly. It's like, I don't think they could have anticipated. It's bonkers. Yeah. What, yeah, what was going to happen to them? No, no, nobody could have predicted that. Um, okay. So uh, la- I think my last formal question for us today is because uh, this is very much on the use of Zoom. And um, I'm hoping that you can give us your top three tips for instructors for using Zoom. And I will caveat, which I hope that one of those tips is about setting up your camera, like you were talking about this issue of staring at yourself all day. Um, I mean, as one of the tips, video presentation? Well, I maybe I'll speak to video presentation and then give the three tips. I think that sure. again, video is <laughs> video is circumstantial. Like Leading the some, witness. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it because it's, it's hard. I think that they're, it's just a little bit more complex of a topic. I think video presentation can be really important. So like when I'm giving a workshop, I really want to make sure I have my video on, especially as an instructor. Um, you know, when I teach my courses online, I have my video on because it, I think it helps associate a, a face to what's happening. And so there is high value in video presentation. And it is nice to see your colleagues, see your professors, see your students. However, Uh, When you have large numbers of people or that that comes into like bandwidth issues, but also like there's access issues with video. So 
students might not have access to webcams, those kinds of things. Um, and I know it's it's hard for us to sometimes believe because to us, it's like, oh, well, you know, everybody has a computer phone, those kinds of things. Um, but some people access, like have been accessing, uh, you know, technologies on share, shared computers, those kinds of things. And so there is the question of equity and access. Um, we're also like, inviting people into our lives and homes when we are on Zoom. So there's things like those virtual backgrounds. They seem silly and fun, but they can be really cool, like social equalizer. Um, if students are able to use them, they are yes. only compatible with some operating systems. And so that is something to consider. But um, it's a kind of cool equalizer because students might not feel comfortable inviting us into their homes or, you know, work or, or like anybody because um, we're all in a unique situation with having everybody jam-packed in their houses. Um, and so, yeah, video presentation can be can be an important, useful factor, but there are concerns to consider. And I think being kind to ourselves and our students, if we, you know, need to shut off our video or understanding that our students may need to shut off their video because it can be difficult. Um, and so I think communicating our care for our, for students. Um, and so what I do before I teach, before I even start teaching classes that have a Zoom component is like reach out to students and make sure that they're comfortable with any kind of expectations in the class. And if they're not discussing with them, letting them know that I understand that I care, those kinds of things. And so um, there's a really big, I think, uh, using our best judgment and uh, communicating care when it comes to stepping away from those video components. I guess that's something that uh, instructors need to just always keep in the back of their minds where like what their expectations are. They're struggling with teaching and delivering their content, but keeping a mindful ear of the experience that's happening, not only the learning experience, but the, the whole virtual interaction is um, going to be increasingly important. Yeah. And I think like, I totally sympathize with instructors because I think uh, we're saying, you know, make sure to worry about your students and shift everything you've been doing to a whole different platform and also keep up with your research. And also now you have to be at home helping your kids homeschool. And so I think to, um, a lot of the narrative sometimes is saying, you know, like, make sure you do all these things. But I have the sympathy that it's really difficult to do all those things. And this is new and a learning experience. And so I think if instructors and students are approaching this together with empathy as a joint learning experience, I think that's the that's the way in which this will succeed. And it won't be it won't be a success of maybe a learning objective, but more of a success of uh, kind of coming through this together in a positive way. That was the best tip. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah I think go ahead maybe just this. a summary of kind of where, where we're at. Some of this will have been covered, but I think the first tip is make sure that we're really being thoughtful about why and when we are bringing students in for synchronous instructions and questioning all of the implications that that has. That's I think, the first most important tip. I think the second important tip is that uh, there are so many amazing features in Zoom. I think the best way to really understand how this tool is going to work for us in our individual settings is by 
exploring the wonderful features, you know, breakout rooms, uh, polling, all of these different uh, great features, um, but also uh, understanding the like security implications. So you can change around a whole suite of settings in Zoom and saying, you know, maybe I want to turn off this setting for classroom management purposes. Uh, but understanding that that has a, an implication upon our teaching and learning in terms of functionality of the tool. So it'll really be an individual balance of which aspects of the tool are useful and where am I concerned about security, student misbehaving, those kinds of things. And then my third tip, I think, is just making sure we infuse care and open communication into the use of this tool and really any tool. Um, and just this kind of remote setting, I think that that's the most important thing. And that'll be what really permeates any success or failure of the tool or of our teaching and learning is I think that the care will, will go beyond any kind of 